0: All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today, we got a different type of guest. It's whiskey adjacent, but uh, we have Brandon with CNC Malt, and uh, he's going to talk to us about their story, obviously. And he's going to talk to us about malting and different types of grain, obviously, and also kind of give us his cool little setup, a little rundown of their cool little setup over there. Without further ado, here's Brandon. Well, good afternoon, everyone.
1: Thanks for uh, taking the time there to watch and listen. And I hope this is uh, educational and informative. Um, So, yeah, as uh, Randall was saying there, we got uh, a malt house here. And the uh, way we came about it was through purchasing an old elementary school. Kind of a long story to get there, but it works out to be the perfect uh, malting facility. And the reason being is we have a lot of floor space. So it's one level facility that just has miles and miles of concrete floor, not literally, but uh, sometimes it feels like that when we're turning the grain. <laughs> and um, that floor is uh, the perfect bed for germinating, which is uh, the bulk of the malting process. That's awesome. That That is awesome. It's, it's kind of the heart of it. So we're starting in the middle there talking about germination. Um, <laughs> yeah, as far as the... Uh, the, the process goes it's uh there's three main processes in malting there's uh, steep there's germination and there's kilning so steep being the first one is really the most important most critical of all the processes you want to get the moisture just right um and you can't be underwater too long or you'll drown the grain so it's a, a little bit of a process to kind of tweak it and play with it and find out what's just right you know when it comes out if the, the grains all chit it which means it starts to sprout you have good chit, then you're off to a good start so <laughs> that's uh where we start um bulk of it is uh germination. so when it comes out of the steep tank after it's up moisture and uh, chitting we take it spread it out on the floor and get it to grow so what that entails is uh turning it multiple times in the day about about uh, four to six times depending if it's summer or winter and that uh, helps aerate the grain and uh, keep it from growing together because it'll all mat up and those roots just want to like intertwine and makes uh malt balls that you have to bust up um it also helps to cool it so um when you're doing that it, it removes the heat and it gets some air in there to help it uh, keep growing so it's it's about four or five days on the floor there and um when we're turning it, we'll, we'll watch how progresses. So the main thing you wanna do if you wanna try mulching at home, this is something uh, everyone should do just for fun. Um, you take the seeds and kind of pull them apart and you'll look and see, uh, in barley it has a husk, so it's covered. And you can see the plant growing up through the inside of that husk. And when that plant's about full length, you're done. And the other thing you do is you rub it out if so you leave like a, a chalky paste behind on your fingers. And that's a good indication that it's done. If it balls up, then it uh, there's a lot of proteins there and stuff. It's still kind of gooey, sticky. So you want to let it go the longer for them to break down. Um, then once you're through that process, then you transfer it over to the kiln, and that's where you dry it. So if you're to try it at home, you might uh, spread it out on a baking tin, put it out in the sun or in an oven, low temperature. Uh, like 100 120 degrees is ideal uh what we do is we put it in uh, we built a big stainless box and uh with the uh, uh a false bottom if our connection was better i'd walk you back there and kind of <laughs> show you but uh we're having trouble enough just sitting still here so yes, um, sir. basically there's uh that that um, false bottom allows the air to come up from underneath. So basically the, the decks there is about a four foot air plenum to allow the air to equalize underneath it. Then the air blows up through the grain and pulls off the moisture. It's vented outside. There's a, it depends what kind of mulch you're making. There's a couple of different steps in kilning, but uh, pretty much the first is um, we just drop dry off all the moisture that you can. And that's done at low temperatures, about 120 degrees. That helps preserve the enzymes. Then once you start seeing that temperature of your air off start to rise, um, when it gets up about 10 degrees of the air on, you start ramping it up. You get up to about 185 or so and hold it there for for most malts, standard malt. And that's kind of where you help uh, develop some of the flavor, dry it further, um, things of that nature. And then when it's done, you cool it down. After that, then you clean it up, and it's um, more similar to other grain processes kind of at both ends of the spectrum before you steep and after you kill those two um, ends of malting are similar to something that might be done in other grain silos and other facilities of that nature. So that's uh, the nickel
0: explanation on malting. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, um, okay, so kind of, I guess kind of tell us uh, your personal backstory and what what got you into the malting house um and did you come from a brewing background did, you know any of that uh and even if you came from a tech world or whatever just kind of give us a little bit of your your backstory and what made you uh want to do this whole malting thing yeah sure so my background's oil and gas
1: and um that's where most maltsters come from <laughs> okay so i'm just judging <laughs> on that but uh so i had um a job where I was working a lot, never at home, didn't know what the kids looked like. And um, basically it was a take it or leave it offer to move out to Colorado. And I decided to leave that job behind. And um, it was uh, really nice because it went from a very intense job to just watching kids, but it's also frustrating too because you can't fire your kids when they don't listen to you. They just (laughs) run around and do what they do. So it was a kind of a unique situation where I had time and money, and um, I needed to do something. After a while, I just figured i need to either go back to work or do something for myself, and I wanted to do something for myself. So I had considered starting a brewery. That's uh, what led me down this path to malting. We had uh, a good bit of equipment sitting in our garage, and so I figured there's really not much risk here. It's something I always wanted to do. Now's probably the time. It just seemed um, there was already eight breweries in the Pittsburgh area, and that seemed like too many. And uh, I was thinking, now what could I do to differentiate myself from other breweries so people come to visit? And uh, I was searching for some equipment. I came across some malting equipment. Uh, That's when the light bulb came on. I said, aha, I can make my own malts. That'll give me more control in the process. Uh, Give people a reason to come out, um, visit our brewery. So um, in the meantime, I figured it'd be good to try some Pennsylvania malt, see what flavors it has to offer and just uh, what exactly we'd be getting into. And I searched for Pennsylvania malt and there wasn't any. And then the (laughs) second light bulb, came. I said, well, there you go. You don't have to be dealing with drunk people at 10 at night, kicking them out or two in the morning whenever you decide to close down you could just uh, make malt visit all the breweries and go home at the end of the day right so instead of dealing with drunk people at two in the morning i'm turning up at two in the morning <laughs> yeah but um that was kind of the uh the path that led me there and then um at that point you gotta make the malt somewhere and we have uh, about five acres warehouses it's owned agriculture and it met all the criteria to put up a building which uh, maltings uh considered an agribusiness so you're kind of you're not quite farming but you kind of are because you're growing stuff but you're really more manufacturing so it's a gray area so being that it's a gray area that led into some difficulties dealing with zoning boards and all uh, the different uh, entities involved in my local township uh, in the meantime this elementary school came up for sale and out here, there's no zoning, no, um, it's a very welcoming community. So it uh, it just worked out perfect to move out into this old elementary school, which uh, it's not, uh, when you say elementary school, people have different visions, whether it's a one, home, one room schoolhouse with the, you know, wooden <laughs> siding. Or, um, what we have is one of those uh, brick buildings built in the 50s, about uh, 30,000 square foot total, uh, one level uh out in the country so well in septic uh, works quite well for what we're doing
0: awesome awesome so so i guess i guess my next question is I okay so i wrote this down uh can you molt any grain as long as it's a grain uh could you say that one more time no no it's all right you- can you molt any grain
1: yeah, we could um, malt pretty much any grain people or seed. Uh, people have malted hemp seeds. They've malted uh, pretty much so long as you get it to germinate, uh, it would malt. So I suppose you could try apple seeds. They probably wouldn't be good. So <laughs> yeah. um, we malt various grains. So we do malt corn and uh, some... Uh, obviously traditional grains like barley, wheat, and rye, and they all have their different challenges. Uh, Oats is um, a grain that we uh, malt often, uh, spelts, things of that nature. When you get into some off-the-wall kind of grains, they might be a little more challenging because you want everything to be pretty uniform. So even outside of barley, it's a a bit of um trial and error to see what varieties of rye, uh, rye or wheat or, or corn for that matter or malt well. So it's um, barley's been bred over the years to be very uniform, so that uh, you have seventy to one hundred percent of all your um, grain is chitted at um, coming out of steep um, day one, two, three. They're they're very uniform in growth with corn you might have 20 percent to 50% chitted out of steep and then when you're going to kiln some of it's a little more than full length there and the corn you get one root that comes down and that'll be about three times the length of the corn uh, kernel um so you might have one that's fully grown like that and then you'll have others that are just starting to chit so it's uh it's more challenging as you get away from the grains that have really been the focus of malting.
0: Got it. Got it. That that makes a lot of sense. Cause like, you know, most people like with malted corn, especially the, where people are just now getting into malting corn and doing stuff like that. So it's, you have more of a learning curve, whereas they've been malting barley for a long time and you kind of know the basis of the barley, Uh, So that kind of leads me into my second question. Uh, What is the strangest thing that you have malted? Oh, we did sorghum for uh, this African
1: beer. And um, that was unusual. The very first thing we tried to malt was einkorn. And um, that was probably one we've only lost maybe two or three batches total, um, all on the pilot scale. That was uh, one that we lost and, uh, it was not the right place to start, but, um, live and learn. So the problem with the corn was it was the kernels were just so small and sticky that they, um, kind of made, uh, it was very difficult to aerate the grain. So it kind of cooked itself. So the, um, the one grain that we malt regularly that's a very challenging grain to malt is rye, and it's, it's um, challenging in regards to its uh, stickiness. So it just um, it sticks to your shoes. It's uh, You have to watch you don't clog up your kiln grates. Uh, you have to get in and rake out the kiln during the kilning process to get it drying evenly. So it's, uh, it's a challenging grain to malt, and that's Almost what we do the most of
0: they, <laughs> so. well, of, of course, right the the hardest one is gonna be the one that you do the most of, okay, so we, um I, actually you know
1: what, thinking back on it, the um most uh, the, I guess the most challenging one was spelts um spelts with the hole on, and the problem is they float out of the steep tank. We have to put a burlap sack over them and cinder blocks to get them to sink down so they don't float. So we learned our lesson on that one and we malt uh, de-hold spelts now, which took uh, some time to find. (laughs) Anything's
0: doable. Just uh, takes a little bit of trial and error. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... let's get a little nerdy and tell tell me or us um like when you're malting the grain and it's on the drying floor and it's getting its little things let's go into when do you know it's ready to be taken off and thrown in the dryer
1: so that's the part go ahead Mm -hmm. yeah that that's the part that uh Becomes a bit of an art as much as a science. So um, a lot of the te- other tests are more absolutely. you're looking for a number. Um, coming off of the floor, you're you're doing the rub test, really is um and we talked a little bit about that earlier. So if we talk about barley in particular, because that's a traditional multigrain, uh, it um, has there's a i usually have some at least in my pocket or shoes i can pull up to show <laughs> you but there's um kernel, and then out of the bottom the roots are growing and then out of the top is where the plant would grow so but that is hidden by the husk so what you do is you look at at it and there'll be a, a crease in the barley seed and the opposite end of that is where the plant grows. So you kind of find the crease, roll it over, and then get your fingernails and pull it apart. And you look to see what how that acuspire is doing. So if you were to do a more formal test and um, track for QC purposes in your lab, if you had a dedicated lab guy, you might do this. You would take a representative sample of barley corns across the floor and take those into the labs slice them open, and um, rank what percentage of them are at what length. So you're looking for them to be mostly in the three-quarter to full length of the kernel. So that would be the, um, the one approach. The uh, approach that's very typical that almost all molsters use is the rub test. So you just peel back that husk, you'll get that white endosperm, and then just in between your thumb and your finger, you uh, rub that barley out of its husk, and then see how it rubs out. And then you'll end up with a, a white thumb. We're um, coming back from Thanksgiving, so I have no no white thumb today. But basically, you'll you'll rub the the grains in a few places throughout the floor and see how uniform it is. If they all rub out, then it's good to go. And then um, if they don't, then you try and give it more time, try and make, might need heat, it, it, it needs some moisture. So you kind of baby it along till it gets there.
0: Got it, got it. So I guess, I guess this is kind of a specialty question, but when you do your malting, do you also do, um, like the caramelization, like a crystal malt or something like that, or hybridize any malts, or are you specifically a malting house and not a breeding house? Um, no, so we made crystal oats
1: and crystal rye and honey malts and all kinds of different stuff, and Uh, roasted malts and so there's a couple of different groups of malts so when you talk about a crystal malt uh, um, what you're basically doing is taking either a green malt that hasn't been kilned or a finished malt and rehydrating it to about 40 percent and then putting that in a roaster and so what you're doing in the roaster you're going to bring it up to 150 and hold it for about an hour and in the roaster that high moisture is um, allows the enzymes to be active in the grain and convert the starches to sugars so essentially you're mashing in the grain and then after that uh, mash is complete then you'll raise up your temperature in the roaster and kick on some fans to blow off um, the moisture that's there And depending on what temperatures you get to and how long you stay there, you'll get different uh, caramelization taking place. So crystal malts, caramel malts are the same family. um, And that's uh, kind of the the broad overview of it. And Everyone has their little tweaks to how they make their malts, uh, whether it's their starting point or the way in which they heat their kiln, the uh, ramp they take up to get uh, different um, their particular different crystals, so that, that's the crystal crystallization portion of it caramelization and and we do do that uh, on a smaller scale. So, um, but honey malts are quite fun. They're actually my favorite to make, and um, that's a, a different animal in itself. So what you're what we do is we take um, green malt that would go to the kiln, and it needs to have slightly higher moisture about uh better than 40 percent um and you'll put it into a krauf box is uh, what the germans call it i believe basically they're very particular about their dimensions but we have these stainless boxes that um maybe i shouldn't give out my dimensions because i think ours is pretty good (laughs) um but they're about three feet by two feet by two feet or so so we fill those up with the green malt and then we cover them in saran wrap and what happens is you get a, a temperature spike in there. Because any time you have compact wet grain, the temperature tends to climb. So there's a lot of biological activity, and it'll get that temperature up to about 120. So you start sacrification, you start making some sugars. Um, then it crashes and goes anaerobic or aerobic, the one without oxygen. Which one's <laughs> that? Anaerobic? Not, yeah. Yeah. So, um, at that point you start you have some sugars there there's yeast present on the malt uh, you start making some alcohols there's bacteria present you start souring so you get get like the sweet and sour malts that uh, is really really interesting and when you kiln it like that initial aroma of kilning is amazing it smells like the four shots of a stills you're you're getting Mm -hmm. ethers and esters all kinds of stuff coming off that just makes the whole malt house smell great. So I think as far as a hybridized malt, that, that might be the the closest thing because you do, there's some caramelization, get some color to it, but it, it kind of ends up about a Munich malt color. Um, and uh, something that's uh, quite intense in flavor. And if you put that in a spirit, that uh, gets real intense, real fast. There's, there's a, Funny rye we made that I'm really looking forward to see how that came out. Yeah, that uh, that went. That, to...
0: Go ahead. I, I was just saying that I
1: went into a rye whiskey. I guess I left that part out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess my 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 next question is one that's more based upon our listeners, just so, for their for their thing. Since you're into malting and into grains and stuff like that, uh, what is your favorite whiskey out there? Are, and, uh, you know, kind of give us a little background on that.
1: Well, um, that's a good question. And um, there's uh, a lot that I haven't tried. So <laughs> I, was, I was looking at some of the bottles behind you. Um, there's a couple moonshiners around here that really make good whiskey. So <laughs> <laughs> the, my current favorite one in my liquor cabinet is a, um, a bottle bottle from a neighbor um, it was made out of uh, it's a bourbon he made it using malted green corn um, and everything was malted so I guess that might qualify as an American single malt even though it's a bourbon I'm uh, not sure how that classification is going to play out <laughs> but um, that's uh that's one of my favorite we have some old bottles like uh pre-World War II of Canadian club that have been sitting there that um, I intend to open and see how they are um but um yeah there's uh there's some good bourbons and ryes around uh altered state uh, is putting up some good ones uh mm-hmm. up our way um I'm looking forward to see what iron City puts out I haven't had uh th- they're still young yet um but uh yeah there's uh there's some good ones uh I do prefer single malts and bourbons to rye. I was kind of a rye fan for a while, but um that's um I, I think I'm maybe
0: back to bourbon. I don't know. That yeah that that's that's really that's really hard. Once you find a you find your niche in whiskey, you kind of don't want to delineate from that. You're just like man I really like single malt. I really like American single malt whatever you know and you don't want to really go off the path but then you're like man that was a really good bourbon that that guy had too so I you know you kind of you kind of get thrown out there so yeah I I totally understand I totally understand Um, okay so give us a day in the life um, of a malter like are, are you have you have different stages throughout the malting house is that correct
1: uh, correct. So when we are at full production, we'll have something on the floor. There'll be something in steep and there'll be something in kill. And, uh, that'll probably be one of those Will be getting changed over. Either the kiln will be finished up and getting emptied. Or the steep will get finished up and get emptied or we'll be filling it. Uh, one of those. So, um, the, uh, when there's grain on the floor, typically it's turned for the first time around six in the morning. Um, there's a, a retired guy who lives close by who likes to come in and do the early shift, so that's great. Um, the, the grain on the floor get turned again around noon, around six in the evening, and around midnight. So when it's cooler out, try and pull that mid- midnight turning back to about ten Um, because that 10 to eight uh, or 10 to six is not a bad stretch that's only eight hours Um, when it's hot out then um, we add in additional turnings Uh, so that midnight one's usually the latest and the six in the mornings usually the earliest Uh, so that's germination and that's the one it doesn't take long to turn the grain it's about 15 minutes but it's 15 to 20 minutes uh, four times a day right and if you have Yeah, if there's two batches going, then you have a half hour to 40 minutes, uh, four times a day. Uh, So that's usually something that always kind of happens while other things happen. So if there's a batch, um, like this morning we loaded the kiln, we're just getting going, or not the kiln, excuse me, the steep neck. We're just getting going again, steeping. So that was loaded about 8.30. We'll unload that about 4.30 five o'clock somewhere in there and it'll go back underwater around five six o'clock in the morning so you eight o'clock in the morning uh depending on the day so when you get into weekends that kind of shifts things around a little um it should still happen at certain times but it doesn't always uh just depending on how the weekend goes so um once the uh Steep's back underwater. So steep's kind of critical. So you always kind of start by checking on that, and make sure that um, there's a couple things that could happen. Um, we overflow our steep while it's under, and that helps all the straw and stuff like that get washed away. If the place that the water is going to gets clogged, then the steep tank overflows and water spills on the ground and um, you have a big mess so you always start by making sure you don't have a big mess and sometimes you do most of the time you don't Um, the uh, if our kiln's going our kiln runs on wood pellets and if the wood pellets get too low the fire burns back towards the uh, hopper and smoke fills the building and the fire alarms go off and the fire department comes. So after you check the steep tank, then you go and check and make sure there's pellets in the wood stove and fill them up. Um, Then kind of check the temperatures on the kiln, see where it's at, make sure it's doing what it's doing. Then we go up and uh, we climb into the kiln, scan it with an IR gun, make sure the temperatures are level throughout the kiln bed. If they're not, you have to rake from the uh, cool spots to the warm spots To kind of uh, level out that kiln and let keep the airflow even. Um, And then that's uh, what you do when everything's humming. If we're loading the kiln, then that would be uh, we would be shoveling grain off the floor into a cart and taking that cart over to a conveyor belt and putting it into the kiln and spreading it around so um that's the most uh labor intensive job that we do is loading the kiln um and then if we're unloading the kiln then pretty we set up a debirder machine to knock the roots off and we'll shovel the uh, grain the malt into the debirder and take it away to be cleaned so that's um on a typical day, we'd be doing any one of those processes as well as trying to clean grain too. Once you have the, uh, the malt, then you need to remove the rootlets. So what we do is run it back out through our grain cleaner. It's a series of screens that allow the roots to fall through and it retains the malt and then some fans that blow the dust and stuff away. and then we do that outside so it's augered outside then augered back inside and bag so that would be a typical day um occasionally we have to bag into 55 pound bags for um smaller orders and um some even some big customers like small bags for different products so
0: okay. it's
1: a uh, package i guess would
0: be the other portion of it okay uh, So, okay. So how many people are on staff over there? Just, just so I can kind of, kind of gauge it. Cause you said you were fairly, I mean, you have a pretty good footprint on the ground. So how many people on a given day are working there? Since you say you work almost 24 hour, you know, shift. uh, How many people do you have there?
1: We have two full-time guys. Uh, We have uh, two to three retired guys that come in for um, one hour to four hours a day. And then we have um, one weekend helper that uh, comes out and helps on the weekend. So that's, uh, that's our team there and a bunch of good guys. So we're, um, we're very, very blessed in that regard.
0: Cool, cool. So I'm guessing the the malt that you make is pre-ordered or is it, are you making bulk grain for like brew houses and stuff like that? Are you making it for a specific distillery or brewery or something like that? So this time last year,
1: we would have been making malt just on the speculation that we will eventually actually sell this malt. Um, this year right now we're um uh, making malt that's uh, already has a home for the most part so we're making oh in december we just laid out our december which is kind of a it when you're doing a business where you you know there's a week to start up and a week to shut down um if you have a you know a holiday in november and christmas in december there you, you know it's um by the time you start up you're shutting down yeah almost um but i think we'll still crank out about uh four to five batches in december and for the most part they're all ordered if we get that fifth one that would be one to try and get ahead um so right now we're we're probably if someone called in something uh we'd say that we'd get to it in january most likely to make it and it would it requires about a weekend process and about a two week rest. So if someone um, called in an order, they would be looking at um, the earliest uh, maybe late January to early February to receive and,
0: and use that grain and um, And if you go if, if you if you had to pick um, I'm, I'm guessing barley would be your number one seller, is that correct? Well, so I, rye, rye.
1: I think rye is our number one seller now. We've um, really gone from being brewery-based to dist- distillery-based. Um, most All of our production goes to distilleries. Uh, and then I guess that's uh, why mostly rye. Um, barley, I really hope single malt takes off because uh, barley is just so much nicer to work with. It, it malts better. At death. And um, – so I think a lot of times when people think single malt, you think of the uh, island and the, the highland scotches that are very peated, very uh, heavily smoky and um, having a, a non-smoky single malt's a, a very nice thing as well. Very delicate, very, uh, very flavorful in my opinion. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I hope that takes off and. If people wanted smoky, I guess we could do smoky on a large scale. It's um, just one of those things. If you go that road, that's the road you're on, and there's it's pretty hard to get off that road because smoke's a very strong flavor that carries through to everything.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, that was that was gonna that was gonna be my next my next question for you, um, being that you're malting the grain, the best part to get that smoke influence either peat or wood smoke or whatever you want is in the kilning process so do you do any of that have you done any of that and like you said it's a very bold flavor does it gum up everything in your kiln to where you have to go through and like you know break it all out and sanitize it or whatever so you can do your next batch is it is it that that evasive so yes as uh, is a short answer um
1: <laughs> the uh... So we learned the hard way. Um, I was warned early on not to smoke in my kiln if I intend to uh, do other stuff besides smoke malt. And so I heeded that advice and I smoked my malt outside. I smoked my malt outside on a nice day with the doors open and some smoke came inside and tainted a batch of Pilsner malt. So we ended up um, with about, I think that was seven barrels of uh, a Kolsch that was slightly smoky. It was a very interesting beer. Um, I liked it a lot. That's what we drank for a while. So it, uh, every uh, about third sip, you would get a slight smoky flavor. So it, it was a great beer. The brewer didn't want to put it on because he said, there's no way we'll be able to replicate this. And uh, I think he's right. But um, anyway we uh, traded them the malt for some beer and drank that for a while. Um, so when we smoke, we close the doors, but smoking is done outside and separate from everything else. The way we do it, and this goes to not want you to paint anything, is we'll take finished malt that's already been cleaned, soak that in water because the uh, malt needs moisture to pick up the smoke uh, flavor compounds. So we soak finished malt in water to get it rehydrated, put it in the smoker, and then smoke it overnight. We might uh, dry it down. If someone wants a light smoke, we'll uh, dry it down in the kiln. It, uh, we do this all on a pilot scale, so about 200 pounds a batch. Our production scale is about 10,000 pounds a batch. So
0: That's a lot. That's a, that's uh, a lot really of grain. There's a
1: huge demand for smoked malts yet. Yeah, so um, we haven't uh, tried smoking at any scale yet. There hasn't been a request yet. Um, That being said, um, we did build our kiln with our large kiln with the floor drain underneath it. So that if we were to do something crazy like smoke 10,000 pounds of malt, we could uh, wash it all down and scrub it down afterwards. So it would be be um we wouldn't do that on speculation that would be something that would be made to order
0: okay okay i was i was just wondering because i've heard um in in my in my general area there's a distillery called andalusia whiskey and and they smoke their own malt and so they'll take it and they have a smokehouse and they basically made it they have a smoke box to the side and they have a peated single malt and a uh you know like a wood smoked Uh, one that they smoke with mesquite and oak oak and applewood so it it gives a really nice flavor but for some people it can be a little off-putting which I understand and you don't want to taint a a batch of beer or something like that if you're making it for a specific client so I totally totally get it and I'm sure those kilns are not cheap to where you would necessitate having a smoke kiln and a regular kiln so I would think that would be a little expensive and you said you make 10,000 pounds of grain at one time malt at one time is that correct that's correct Ooh, that's a that's a lot of grain that's a lot of grain to go through so so my next question and then and then we can wrap it up if we need it to. It sounds but.
1: like a lot, but uh in the grand scheme of things um I'm sorry I stepped on you there. No 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 10,000 10, sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things we're about as small as you get. That's uh to <laughs> uh, put things in perspective. Um a, a big malt house might make uh 600 tons a batch and two three batches a day. Oh, so God. that's um <laughs>
0: uh. That's okay. a large scale. Yeah, that that is that is a large scale. That is a large scale. So I'm trying to think of my question now. I'm sorry. Um it'll come to me. Give me a second. Um what was I gonna say? Good lord. I didn't write this one down but it was a good question. Oh. Um we're out uh related to the uh, smoke malts no it wasn't it was related to the bat oh in in the uh when you're doing the floor your floor malting is that correct correct are you doing that by hand or are you doing it with machinery so we we have
1: done both we have a rake that we pull through the grain um, we've shoveled the grain and after doing that a few times we built a machine very quickly <laughs> to turn the grain so it takes about a half hour to 45 minutes to pull the rake through um, the rake does a really nice job of spreading the grain right. on the first two days raking's fairly easy it's not difficult um the machine's easier by the third and fourth day it's It's a lot more strenuous to pull the rake. The machine that we built is kind of like a garden rototiller, but with bigger paddles. And uh, so essentially it goes through and turns the grain and then it has a flap in the back that the grain will eventually lift the flap and go out, but it keeps it in there a little to kind of bust up any clumps and uh, get it cooled down and aerate it. So it, it works very well. Uh, shoveling, I do think shoveling works the best, but it takes about two hours to properly shovel the floor and versus uh, the 15 to 20 minutes to turn it with the machine. So at
0: midnight, you're not really wanting to go and shovel two hours. <laughs> No, I I bet I bet not. And uh then you start to develop the monkey shoulder like like the scotch okay. and then uh and then that turns into a whole gang of problems. So if if I was a home brewer or a home tinkerer in the shed, whatever you want to call it, would I be able to buy your product? Um do you have uh, a a place where I could go to say, "Hey, I want to get some malted corn from you or something like that. Could could a home brewer or somebody like that buy your product?
1: Absolutely. So um we sell online on our website, uh cncmalt.com. Uh Charlie November Charlie. So I get a, a lot of people trying kind to of sell me machine parts, but um <laughs> that's a it stands for custom and craft malt. Uh but yeah, we sell our our corn there. Uh, We have a lot of Bloody Butcher at the moment. We're about to get uh, a bit of Wapsi Valley. I don't know if we have much Maltic corn. We're about to do a big batch of the Wapsie Valley because it's uh, really germinating well. Um, And then uh, we'll have some Ohio blue corn in. Uh, That's a real nice corn. My favorite was the um, I'll pronounce it wrong. It starts with a no. It's a green corn. Um, Okay. Starts with a no but it's pronounced with a W.
0: What was that? Oaxacan?
1: Yes, yes, I think so. You're breaking up as you're saying it. But of course. It, uh, <laughs> I believe that's correct. So that um, that made that best whiskey that I was talking about, my favorite uh, bourbon that's down there. Um, just malted nicely. It's a beautiful corn. But um, yeah, we have that in stock uh, from time to time. So so it's best to um, shipping kills a lot of those small orders. So um, if you're in the neighborhood, stop on in. If not, we could send it across the country.
0: Okay, cool. Well, while while we're while we're talking about that, go ahead and give us uh, any of your socials. You already gave your your website and stuff. Go ahead and give us any of your socials and stuff like that. Um, and then I'll try and think of a question while you're doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, you won't have much time because I'm not very good with that. I'd have Uh-oh. to look. I think we
1: are on Facebook at CNC mall. And I think we're on Instagram at CNC mall. Okay. God dang it. You didn't give me a much time. Um, and my wife's the one that does all that. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's what we got. It's Facebook and Instagram. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're just CNC mall. Nothing too fancy.
0: Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to wrap it up because I forgot what i was going to ask you you know the chemo heads getting to me so uh we're going to wrap this one up but i'm really excited for you guys' future um i feel like hopefully you're going to be ended up having way too many orders and have to get a bigger facility or something but um i really appreciate you coming on here and talking with me and talking to us about malt and uh kind of giving us the the rundown of it i really appreciate that
1: yeah thank you for your time appreciate uh being on the show here and
0: um i hope you feel better soon yes sir i appreciate it stick on real fast i want to talk to you you betcha all right as always guys keep your spirits up thanks